0: Section 10 of the Underground Railroad Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Underground Railroad Part 1 by William Still. Section 10 James Mercer, William H. Gilliam, and John Clayton stowed away in a hot berth this arrival came by steamer but they neither came in stateroom nor as cabin steerage or deck passengers a certain space not far from the boiler where the heat and coal dust were almost intolerable the coloured steward on the boat in answer to an appeal from these unhappy bondmen could point to no other place for concealment but this nor was he at all certain that they could endure the intense heat of that place It admitted of no other posture than lying flat down, wholly shut out from the light, and nearly in the same predicament in regard to the air. Here, however, was a chance of throwing off the yoke, even if it cost them their lives. They considered and resolved to try it at all hazards. Henry Box Brown's sufferings were nothing compared to what these men submitted to during the entire journey. They reached the house of one of the committee about three o'clock a.m. All the way from the wharf the cold rain poured down in torrents, and they got completely drenched, but their hearts were swelling with joy and gladness unutterable. From the thick coating of coal dust and the effect of the rain added thereto, all traces of natural appearance were entirely obliterated, and they looked frightful in the extreme, but they had placed their lives in mortal peril for freedom. Every step of their critical journey was reviewed and commented on, with matchless natural eloquence, how, when almost on the eve of suffocating in their warm birds, in order to catch a breath of air, they were compelled to crawl one at a time to a small aperture. But scarcely would one poor fellow pass three minutes being thus refreshed, ere the others would insist that he should go back to his hole. Air was precious, but for the time being they valued their liberty at still greater price after they had talked to their heart's content and after they had been thoroughly cleansed and changed in apparel their physical appearance could be easily discerned which made it less a wonder whence such outbursts of eloquence had emanated they bore every mark of determined manhood the date of this arrival was february twenty sixth eighteen fifty four and the following description was then recorded arrived by steamer pennsylvania james mercer william h gilliam and john clayton from richmond james was owned by the widow mrs t e white he is thirty-two years of age of dark complexion well made good-looking reads and writes is very fluent in speech and remarkably intelligent from a boy he had been hired out the last place he had the honour to fill before escaping was with messrs williams and brother wholesale commission merchants for his services in this store the widow had been drawing one hundred and twenty-five dollars per annum clear of all expenses he did not complain of bad treatment from his mistress indeed he spoke rather favourably of her but he could not close his eyes to the fact that at one time mrs white had been in possession of thirty head of slaves although at the time he was counting the cost of escaping two only remained himself and william save a little boy and on himself a mortgage for $750 was then resting. He could therefore, with his remarkably quick intellect, calculate about how long it would be before he reached the auction block. He had a wife but no child. She was owned by Mr. Henry W. Qualls, so out of that sodom he felt he would have to escape even at the cost of leaving his wife behind. Of course he felt hopeful that the way would open by which she could escape at a future time, and so it did, as will appear by and by. His aged mother he had to leave also. William Henry Gilliam likewise belonged to the widow White. He had been hired to Mrs. White and Brother to drive their bread-wagon. William was a baker by trade, for his service his mistress had received $135 per year. He thought his mistress quite as good, if not a little better, than most slaveholders, but he had never felt persuaded to believe that she was good enough for him to remain a slave for her support indeed he had made several unsuccessful attempts before this time to escape from slavery and its horrors he was fully posted from a to z but in his own person he had been smart enough to escape most of the more brutal outrages he knew how to read and write and in readiness of speech and general natural ability was far above the average of slaves he was twenty-five years of age well made of light complexion and might be put down as a valuable piece of property this loss fell with crushing weight upon the kind-hearted mistress as will be seen in a letter subjoined which she wrote to the unfaithful william some time after he had fled letter from mrs l e white richmond sixteenth eighteen fifty four dear henry your mother and myself received your letter she is much distressed at your conduct "'She is remaining just as you left her,' she says, "'and she will never be reconciled to your conduct. "'I think, Henry, you have acted most dishonourably. "'Had you have made a confidant of me, "'I would have been better off. "'And you as you are. "'I am badly situated living with Mrs. Palmer "'and having to put up with everything. "'Your mother is also dissatisfied. "'I am miserably poor.' do not get a cent of your hire or james's beside losing you both but if you can reconcile so do by renting a cheap house i might have lived now it seems salvation is before me martha and the doctor are living in portsmouth it is not in her power to do much for me i know you will repent it i heard six weeks before you went that you were trying to persuade him off but we all liked you and i was unwilling to believe it however i leave it in god's hands He will know what to do. Your mother says that I must tell you Servant Jones is dead, and old Mrs. Galt. Kit is well, but we are very uneasy, losing your and James's hire. I fear, poor little fellow, that he will be obliged to go, as I am compelled to live, and it will be your fault. I am quite unwell, but of course you don't care. Yours, L.E. White. If you choose to come back and could, I would do a very good part by you. Tola and Cook has none this touching epistle was given by the disobedient william to a member of the vigilant committee when on a visit to canada in eighteen fifty five and it was thought to be of too much value to be lost it was put away with other valuable u g r r documents for future reference touching the rascality of william and james and the unfortunate predicament in which it placed the kind-hearted widow mrs louisa white the following editorial clipped from the wide-awake richmond dispatch was also highly appreciated, and preserved as conclusive testimony to the successful working of the UGRR in the Old Dominion. It reads thus, Rascality Somewhere. We called attention yesterday to the advertisement of two Negroes belonging to Mrs. Louisa White by Tola and Cook, and in the call we expressed the opinion that they were still lurking about the city, preparatory to going off. Mr. Tola, we find, is of a different opinion, He believes that they have already cleared themselves, have escaped to a free state, and we think it extremely probable that he is in the right. They were both of them uncommonly intelligent Negroes. One of them, the one hired to Mr. White, was a tip-top baker. He had been all about the country, and had been in the habit of supplying the U.S. Pennsylvania with bread. Mr. W. having the contract... In his visits, for this purpose, of course, he formed acquaintances with all sorts of seafaring characters, and there is every reason to believe that he has been assisted to get off in that way, along with the other boy hired by the Messrs. Williams. That the two acted in concert can admit of no doubt. The question is now to find out how they got off. They must undoubtedly have had white men in the secret. Have we then a nest of abolition scoundrels among us? "'There ought to be a law to put a police officer on board every vessel "'as soon as she lands at the wharf. "'There is one, we believe, for inspecting vessels before they leave. "'If there is not, there ought to be one. "'These negroes belong to a widow lady "'and constitute all the property she has on earth. "'They have both been raised with the greatest indulgence. "'Had it been otherwise, "'they would never have had the opportunity to escape, as they have done. "'Their flight has left her penniless.' either of them would readily have sold for twelve hundred dollars and mr toller advised their owner to sell them at the commencement of the year probably anticipating the very thing that has happened she refused to do so because she felt too much attachment to them they have made a fine return truly no comment is necessary on the above editorial except simply to express the hope that the editor and his friends who seem to be utterly befogged as to how these uncommonly intelligent negroes made their escape, will find the problem satisfactorily solved in this book. However, in order to do even-handed justice to all concerned, it seems but proper that Williams and James should be heard from, and hence a letter from each is here appended for what they are worth. True, they were intended only for private use, but since the true light, freedom, has come, all things may be made manifest letter from william henry gilliam st Catharines, c w may fifteenth eighteen fifty four my dear friend i received yours dated the tenth and the papers on the thirteenth i also saw the piece that was in miss shadd's paper about me i think Tola is right about my being in a free state i am and think a great deal of it also i have no compassion on the penniless widow lady i have served her twenty five years two months i think that is long enough for me to live a slave dear sir i am very sorry to hear of the accident that happened to our friend mr meekins i have read the letter to all that lives in st Catharines that came from old virginia and then i sent it to toronto to mercer and clayton to see and to farman to read for themselves sir you must write to me soon and let me know how meekins gets on with his trial and you must pray for him i have told all here to do the same for him may god bless and protect him from prison i have heard a great deal of old richmond and norfolk dear sir if you see mr or mrs gilbert give my love to them and tell them to write to me also give my respect to your family and a part for yourself love from the friends to you solomon brown h atkins west johnson mrs brooks mr dykes mr smith is better at present and do not forget to write the news of minkins trial i cannot say any more at this time but remain yours and a true friend until death w h gilliam the widow's mite our friend minkins in whose behalf william asked the united prayers of his friends was one of the scoundrels who assisted him and his two companions to escape on the steamer being suspected of rascality in this direction He was arrested and put in jail, but as no evidence could be found against him, he was soon released. James Mercer's Letter Toronto, March 17th, 1854 My dear friend Still, I take this method of informing you that I am well, and when this comes to hand it may find you and your family enjoying good health. Sir, my particular for writing is that I wish to hear from you, and to hear all the news from down south i wish to know if all things are working right for the rest of my brethren whom in bondage i will also say that i am very much pleased with toronto so also the friends that came over with me it is true that we have not been employed as yet but we are in hopes of being so in a few days we happen here in good time just about the time people in this country are going to work i am in good health and good spirits and feels rejoiced in the lord for my liberty I receive a couple of paper from you today. I wish you see James Morris, who or Abram George the first and second on the ship Pennsylvania. Give my respects to them and ask James if he will call at Henry W. Qualls on May Street, opposite the Jew's Synagogue, and call for Marina Mercer. Give my love to her and ask of her all the times about Richmond. Tell her to send me all the news. Tell Mister Morris that there will be no danger in going to that place. You will also tell M. to make himself known to her, as she may know who sent him. And I wish to get a letter from you. James M. Mercer John H. Hill's Letter My friend, I would like to hear from you. I have been looking for a letter from you for several days, and the last was very distressing to me. Please to write right away. Yours most respectfully, John H. Hill instead of weeping over the sad situation of his penniless mistress and showing any signs of contrition for having wronged the man who held the mortgage of seven hundred and fifty dollars on him james actually feels rejoiced in the lord for his liberty and is very much pleased with toronto but is not satisfied yet he is ever concocting a plan by which his wife might be run off from richmond which would be the cause of her owner henry w Qualls esq losing at least one thousand dollars st catherine canada june eighth, eighteen 1854 mr still dear friend i received a letter from the poor old widow mrs l e white and she says i may come back if i choose and she will do a good part by me yes yes i am choosing the western side of the south for my home she is smart but cannot bung my eye till so she shall have to die in the poorhouse at last so she says and mercer and myself will be the cause of it "'That is all right, I am getting even with her now, "'for I was in the poorhouse for twenty-five years "'and have just got out. "'And she said she knew I was coming away six weeks before I started, "'so you may know my chance was slim. "'But Mr. John Wright said, "'I came off like a gentleman, "'and he did not blame me for coming, "'for I was a great boy. "'Yes, I hear him enough, he is all gas. "'I am in Canada, and they cannot help themselves. "'About that subject I will not say anything more, you must write to me as soon as you can and let me hear the news and how the family is and yourself let me know how the times is with the ugrr company is it doing good business mr dyke sends his respects to you give mine to your family your true friend w h gilliam john clayton the companion in tribulation of william and james must not be lost sight of any longer he was owned by the widow clayton and was white enough to have been nearly related to her being a mulatto he was about thirty-five years of age a man of fine appearance and quite intelligent several years previous he had made an attempt to escape but failed prior to escaping in this instance he had been labouring in a tobacco factory at a hundred and fifty dollars a year it is needless to say that he did not approve of the peculiar institution he left a wife and one child behind to mourn after him of his views of canada and freedom the following frank and sensible letter, penned shortly after his arrival, speaks for itself. Toronto, March sixth, 1854 Dear Mr. Still, I take this method of informing you that I am well both in health and mind. You may rest assured that I fells myself a free man and do not fell as I did when I was in Virginia, thanks be to God I have no master into Canada, but I am my own man. I arrived safe into Canada on Friday last, i must request of you to write a few lines to my wife and just state to her that her friend arrives safe into this glorious land of liberty and i am well and she will make very short her time in virginia tell her that i likes here very well and hopes to like it better when i gets to work i don't mean for you to write the same words that are written above but i wish you to give her a clear understanding where i am and shall remain here until she comes or i hears from her Nothing more at present but remain yours most respectfully, John Clayton. You will please to direct this to Petersburg Luena Johns or Clayton John is best. End of section ten.